Oh my gosh, we are sitting down for the 100th episode of Rewildology. I cannot believe this is happening right now. And we have such a fun episode planned. Um, this is plan C. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> C of this episode. Uh, plan A was freaking epic. You and Kayla, who's been on the podcast now multiple times, both of you were to come over. We were going to have, you know, like we're to grill out, we have cocktails. And then we were going to record this episode in the mountains up here, but a snowstorm decided <laughs> that that was not going to be feasible, which is a okay. So then plan B also didn't work out. So we're to plan C. <laughs> and <laughs> But you know what? That's awesome. It's a beautiful thing about this show is we have to be really flexible and even for something like this. So, but awesome. I'm so excited today. And so kind of what we have planned, everybody, is we asked you your questions to like to submit your questions for today. And Heather, amazing Heather, our audio and video producer is she's going to ask them to me. And then I also have a question, some questions for her. And then we're just going to talk about the future and everything this show has meant. So yeah, thanks, everybody for being a part of the show for being here with me for being here with Heather, too. So we are just super excited. Right, Heather? Cheers to you right now. <laughs> Cheers to you. Oh, Plan C, I only have sales here today. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. My name is Heather Valley. A lot of you probably haven't heard of me or even, even know I'm working behind the scenes here. But yes, I do all of the audio editing and help with some of the video stuff and moving forward, which we'll talk about later. There'll be a lot more video stuff. But let's start off, Brooke, with the first question. So what is the story behind Rewildology? Like, why did you create it? How did it come to be? Yeah, this is such an interesting story, I think, just because it just, God, God, it just freaking happened, you know? So it's, it's a lot of layers. So for anyone who hasn't heard my story, maybe you're new to the show, which again, welcome. I'm so excited that you're part of the Rewildology community. But if you haven't heard my story, so I am a trained conservation biologist. And uh, my last company that I worked for was called Natural Habitat Adventures, which is this amazing worldwide conservation travel company. And I worked for them for a while. And I used to host these things there called the Conservation Coffee Talks, where I would bring in somebody from either within the community somewhere, like a conservation community or within the office, and they would give these monthly talks and everyone just raved about them. They were their favorite thing of the month. And it really brought them closer with the story of conservation. So that was great. So that, that was one of the first seeds to this show. And then COVID happened. And like a lot of us in conservation and or travel or me and both, <laughs> most companies had to make a huge cut. And so when that cut happened, I was unfortunately a part of that. And my entire department was also lost. So a lot of us were really heavily affected, as I'm sure lots of people listening to in one way or another was affected by COVID. And so after that, I had to put my, all my big girl pants. Um, well, first I went home and drank like three glasses of wine because I'm just... <laughs> It was seriously, it was one week after my wedding. I had just been back in the office for maybe three or four days. And then I was pulled into a room and told I was, lo I lost my job. So, and I put everything into this career. Like that, it was one of those jobs where you thought you were going to be there for the rest of your life. Like this is like my family. This is my community. This company means so much to me. And I put all of my effort and my work into this job. And so when it was taken away from me with, through no doing of my own, 
I was, I was devastated. I really, I guess there really is no other way to put it. I, I, so much of my identity was wrapped up in this role and this title that I created through the company that when that was taken away from me, I, I lost a big part of who I was. Um, and, and, and then maybe some other people, you know, like I said, you've gone through that, but being a very passionate person as I am, I'm sure some people have picked up on that, but no, a very passionate person. So to have this big part of me taken away was, was really big. So, but my parents, they were really good at raising very independent girls. And, you know, if come hell or high water, you have bills to pay. And so you got to make ends meet. So the next day, like I said, I put on my big girl pants and I started to look for other jobs. And the only thing that I could find was for this real estate startup in Denver. And they just needed somebody that was good with people. I'm like, yo, I am so good with people. I've (laughs) been doing all of my life. I can help build you pretty much what you need, what you're looking for when it comes to my customer experience type stuff. So this was like the next big phase on where this show started to come to be. So in two ways that are polar opposites. One, the founders of this company are younger than me. They're these awesome guys that are just super ambitious. And I've never had been around that mindset before. So this was a big thing. I never been around people who were young and ambitious, and they just wanted to make it happen. They made things out of thin air that didn't exist before. And I never been around that before. Because I feel like that is that mindset is very lacking in conservation for a lot of different reasons. And so I never been exposed to it before. Because you know, it's always like knocking on doors and being told no, if I could have a dollar for every time I was told no, in my career, I would be a freaking millionaire, I swear to God. But being around them, there was no person to say no. Like they were the ones and they created it. I'm like, wow, this is amazing to be around. They just created this thing out of nowhere. This is awesome. And then because it was real estate, it wasn't conservation. It wasn't my passion. It wasn't contributing to the world. And so there was a big part of me that was missing. And so between those combined, between being around these people that are super inspiring, like I said, they were younger than me. They were bulldozing and making this thing a reality, this startup, and me having a big void in my heart, this idea for this podcast started to come to be. And then the final moment was I sat down and watched David Attenborough's documentary that he made on his life, where it's like a life on this planet or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As you know what I'm talking about. Oh, so good. Yeah. My God, I'm not an emotional person. I very rarely cry. Like I probably should cry more than I do. It's probably, it's kind of ridiculous. I might have a problem, but I bawled my eyes out during that documentary. I was just sitting on the couch and just the face. And I was already starting to have this, like this longing in my heart that I like, wasn't pursuing what I was put on this planet to do. And I just looked over at my husband and I just said, what the am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing here? So the seeds for the podcast had already been planted. I, I love podcasts. I've been listening to them for a very, very long time. And doing and hosting those conservation coffee talks, some, some of my coworkers had actually started to plant the seed to do something similar as well, like a YouTube channel or something. Like, why aren't you actually like recording these and doing something more with them? So with all of that combined, the next day, I reached out to my boss and I was like, hey, I'm going to go down to part-time. You need me to go to part-time because we were starting the slow season. My entire team was in the Philippines. So I was significantly more expensive than them um, with my salary. It's like, you need me to go to part-time. 
I'm going to figure out how to build this. And then from that day forward, I just, I just figured it out. I watched every single YouTube channel you can possibly imagine, like every single Google search you can think of. And I taught myself how to put a podcast together. And then it was December, 2020. I just started with my network. I was like, cause you know, I've been a conservation biologist now for a while and I had some really strong contacts. And I was like, if I completely blow this up, these people love me and they won't care if I mess this up royally. It'll only be a couple hours of their time. It'll be fine. And so that was December, 2020. I sat down with like seven of my close conservation friends and I recorded episodes with them. And then I launched January 23rd, 2021. And now, Heather, you and I are sitting down recording the 100th episode. 100. 100th episode. I, I can't imagine that. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a biologist. I'm a conservation biologist. Like, I'm trained as a scientist. And yet, this whole, this, this whole thing has come together since then. And this is the most rewarding thing I've ever done, which is kind of funny. Like, it's not a name on a paper. It's not a title. It's building this beautiful community and sharing these voices, the most inspiring people I have ever met. I feel like I've done nothing compared to most of the guests that have been on. I'm like, nothing. I've done nothing compared to you. You are, you are changing the world, the globe. And uh, you're giving them voice. You're giving them a voice, right? Like yes. a, lot, a lot of these people, especially in some of these, these like third world countries, you know, Nobody would know what they were doing unless you, you asked them. So, I mean, stop that. <laughs> I know. I, I, I definitely do too. Sometimes people tell me too humble. I can't help it. Um, but yeah, yeah. And then that was another thing. Since I, I am a conservation travel specialist, as my, that's my job. So that is what I've decided to do with my career as a way to contribute to a conservation and just keeping our wildlife here is through conservation tourism. And I've been to so many places around the world. And I kept meeting these people, just like you said, that needed their story told. I was like, why am I the only person that is hearing what you're doing right now? That's not fair. You should be the person that everybody hears and knows and celebrates. It's not that person that's on some documentary or some crazy reality TV. It needs to be you. So that was another big motivation is just gosh, people are so inspiring everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was all of these things combined. And then one last thing, one more reason why this show exists is nobody can take it away from me. The only way that this show is going to stop is if I press the stop button. And so there comes a lot of responsibility and weight with that, which is totally fine. I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot, but unlike my former career, no one can take this platform away. And I love that. I love that so much. The only person I have to ask, should I do this or not? Is myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be like, Heather, should I do this or not? You know, <laughs> like help me through my own thought process. Because <laughs> sometimes I don't ever know what I should do. Um, but yeah, so, so that's, that's all the things. That is, that is why Rewildology exists. Well, that, that's such a good story. I, um, and you've done such an amazing job when I came on um, and kind of like trying to figure out, get my head wrapped around where you were at and what you were doing. I was like, wow, she has done a lot. I don't know how you did it all by yourself without help. So good for you. 
think this is actually the perfect time then. Let's actually tell everybody how we met. So Heather, from your perspective, tell everybody how you and I met. Okay. So I was going to Rocky Mountain National Park with another photographer named Christy Odom, who's in the International League of Conservation Photographers. And she's doing um, a short film on pikas. And so I uh, was helping her out with the audio and uh, any, any gear stuff. And so we were waiting for the Pike Patrol people from the Denver Zoo to show up. And this car pulls up and this girl gets out and she walks straight up to me and she goes, hi, I'm Brooke. <laughs> I'm like, one not to ever be rude. I was like, hi, I'm Heather. <laughs> and uh, I think we talked for just a couple minutes and we, we knew we wanted to work together. So it was, it was one of those moments that happens one or two times in your life. It was really cool. It was and now and we work together really well and we're friends and it's great. Yeah. yeah. It was I because just after that, it was so funny where I was like, I Heather, I swear to God, I manifested you. And <laughs> look, I swear to God, I manifested you. <laughs> yeah. Because I was, yeah, because I I've been wanting to do some video stuff but didn't have a host, and you wanted to do some video stuff as a host, but you didn't have a video person. So (laughs) there we go. (laughs) And my background's in audio, so it just all kind of worked out. So literally, it's couldn't have been more perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. And then ever that was August, so we are sitting down and recording this. Um, the very end of October, and this episode is going to be released beginning in, of November. So yeah, we met, and then like right off the bat, we we're like, let's work together. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was cool how it all all just fell together. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, Super awesome. Are you ready for another question? Yeah, let's, ready for the big one? Let's go for the big question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this question is from Adrian Figueroa. We featured him a couple weeks ago, and his question was, what are your thoughts on trophic rewilding? In other words, do you think there is value in introducing a living relative of a now extinct species to restore ecosystem services that the extinct species once provided? Ooh, the pressure's on, Brooke. I know. And Adrian, <laughs> good question, Adrian. Oh my God, such a good question. Well, one, thank you, Adrian, for being our first featured rewildologist. That is awesome that you were like, I don't want to do it. And then ever since then, we've talked so much on Instagram. You are an amazing person, Adrian. And then you were the first person to like, <laughs> this question. I did not anticipate this at all, but thank you because you let me put on my nerd cap and just like, okay, let's actually look deep into this question so when I first started to think about this, I was like, okay, terrific rewilding. Obviously, this show's called Rewildology. I've done a lot of episodes on what rewilding is, what it isn't. And then I've had some guests on that are experts in various ways of this concept. So I'm like, okay, pretty confident I know what the concept is. And then I, ha- I had to read this question like 10 times because there's a lot of layers to it. So of course, like, you know, there's the question, what are your thoughts on trophic rewilding? That's one, but it goes way deeper than that. And it's like, do you think there is value in introducing a living relative? So an extant species of a now extinct species to restore ecosystem services. And because at first, at first I was like, man, I just wish we could be a purist. Like, no, you know, like we shouldn't be introducing other species in order to restore this stuff because it isn't, you know, like there's other things that could happen. 
But I was like, okay, but we are now living in the biodiversity crisis. There, there are so many other layers to this that where we can't be purists anymore. Like this isn't, we've gone, we've so gone true. Yeah, yeah. past the point of no return. So what I started to do is I was thinking more and more of this as any good scientist, I turned to the scientific literature. I'm like, well, I'm not an expert on this, but I know there's experts out there on this. So I found two incredible papers and I'll make sure that these are linked in the show notes. And I, I highly recommend everybody checking them out. So the first one is called Trophic Rewilding Impact on Ecosystems Under Global Change by, I think it's Backer, B-A-K-K-E-R and Spinning. So this really opened my eyes to this idea. And one of the big, it's called, it's in section six, which animals to introduce where in trophic rewilding. And the biggest takeaway that I come to find, you know, just reading the whole thing, my translation of what it was, is that it really depends on the ecosystem services that you need to be back into the system. And then also one of the biggest factors, which I didn't even think about this, that this is like a whole other layer to this question, is we have to look at the, the factors in the future because we know cli- the climate is still going to change, which is, is going to be pretty hard to predict. So if we are reintroducing or introducing a living relative of one, like of an extinct species, what are the other factors that this species is now going to be subject to that they, they, don't, they aren't in their current ecosystem where they evolved? So the, these scientists, they like, it was more like a review. It was like a culmination of a whole bunch of papers, which was really interesting. So there was this study where they like looked at 17 mega, uh, megafauna that are mammalian. So, you know, they control their own body regulation stuff. Like they can control their temperature, everything. They're, they're pretty resilient. So you're thinking of your bison, your elephants, like your mega fauna, your big herbivores. They're pretty resilient. So there isn't as many factors that need to go into play if we're, if we're introducing those type of species to be able to put in ecosystem services that are gone. But the interesting question, and I once I started getting into the literature, Adrian, I know why you asked this question is because ectotherms, so those are animals that can't regulate their own body temperature that much. You know, some of them can to a point, but you know, that's when you're thinking of your snakes, like your reptiles, like these animals that are more subject to the environment in order for them to regulate their own body temperatures. So one of the big experiments that's been going on that has been pretty successful in a lot of areas is with tortoises. And Adrian, he, he said he's the gopher tortoise. So yeah. I was like, you've probably read this a million times, which is why this question came to be. So in a lot of islands, a lot of giant tortoises are extinct. And so scientists are using living relatives and putting them into these ecosystems in order to restore what the extinct species did. Because in a lot of these areas, they were the big herbivores. They are the seed dispersers. And by putting these tortoises in these areas, then they are restoring that role, that very important role for islands. So I guess this all comes down to, just like you said, the circumstance and the situation. So there's this other paper that I found called Science for Wilder and and science twister there yeah and <laughs> oh my gosh synthesis okay all right try it one more time 
happens for a wilder Anthropocene. Anthropocene. <laughs> this is in future directions for trophic rewilding research. And this was by the same, so the second author in the first paper, um, it's by him um, and at all. So the first paper was 2018, this one is 2015. So this one had some fantastic examples of using other big herbivores to 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 restore ecosystem services and this one some of them was accidental some of them was even before the term rewilding happened like for example there is this uh there was these primitive cattle that were restored in netherlands in 1983 uh, that were introduced as proxies for their extirpated wild ancestors along with red deer and it had an amazing cascade of effects where this very endangered but keystone species geese was able to get their habitat back because these cattle were reintroduced to the areas. And the list goes on and on and on of like similar reintroductions where technically the species that was introduced is not the original, but it was filling the same ecosystem service. And because of that, a lot of these ecosystems are starting to be restored. And it seems like some of the biggest factors are how close a relative, like how, how closely related the living species is to the one that was extinct and how long that extinct species has been gone. So mm. that there's also climate, biodiversity impacts, public acceptance it has here, and blah, 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 blah. So just like you said, <laughs> just like before I let it go on this big spiel and looking at all of these papers and everything like that. It depends. <laughs> it depends. Yes. <laughs> also, there was one last thing that I thought was wild. And I don't know why I think it's so wild because everything is just getting all like with crypts or, you know, um, all this stuff that's happening genetically that I guess I, I need to look more into these papers because this is the first time I've heard of this, where they're starting to do genetic modifications on living species so that they then have the same characteristics as the extinct species so that when they are reintroduced into these ecosystems, a lot of the issues that, you know, scientists are running into with these species that evolve these ecosystems, that's going to be gone because they're going to be genetically modified to be perfect for these ecosystems. Oh, how do you feel about that? I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's, that's such like a, I don't know. Seems we, like such a Pandora's box or something. I don't know, but humans I mean, have been playing God for a long time. No, look where it's got us. <laughs> exactly. So I, I've not heard of this before of genetic modification to uh-huh. create species to replace extinct species. You know, I've just heard of like you know people just trying to bring back the mammoth or something like that from the right. like, DNA and, and like whatnot. I mean, that just seems like a waste of money, but. This is interesting. So that is also specifically listed for anybody that's interested in the second paper. And it's underneath integrating synthetic biology and rewilding. That yeah, is- I'm going to read that one. That's yeah. Kind of super, super interesting. Yeah. yeah. I had to make sure I threw that in there because I was like, what? <laughs> what? I did not see that coming. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, because that's one of the big things that they're running into with like this tortoise reintroduction. since these tortoises aren't perfect for these ecosystems, then like, for example, if the ecosystem is drier than where these tortoises came from, then they're not able to necessarily thrive or live through the dry season. So what humans 
are having to interfere in some way, shape or form. Um, so technically what we're doing is shortcutting the evolution of, of them evolving in a certain right. environment for thousands of years. We're just shortcutting it, but damn. Yeah. <laughs> coming, so I was like, well, I got to throw that out there for everyone to just ponder on that scientists are now starting to make species that fill the niche of extinct species. So yeah. we'll see what happens. I mean, this is something to definitely watch. And again, if anybody is interested in trophic rewilding, these papers aren't difficult to read because, you know, some of them I'm just like, oh, what did you just say? You know, it takes like, 10 hours to translate what the heck the scientist just said. I'm like, you can use simpler language than that. This is kind of ridiculous, you know? Um, <laughs> but these, these two papers are fantastic. They're very easy reads, very easy to understand. You don't have to have a hardcore science background like, like I do or, or some of the PhDs or people listening. Like you, I promise that you can understand them as well. But yes, Adrian, thank you for that question. I hope that that gave kind of my opinion, kind of not. I guess it just depends. It depends on what needs restored. I'm personally a predator biologist and in trophic rewilding, the it's it's usually for the top-down cascades is what it's usually focusing. So trophic rewilding is focused um is heavily focused on restoring top like apex predators and stuff like that. So I don't think that this is really applicable that much. I don't understand. Like, I can't see how you would reintroduce another apex predator to predator to an area that they're not native. So that's something I would have to ponder on and think more of like for a polar bear, there's nothing you can reintroduce that would, you know, yeah. place a polar bears, like nothing else can survive there. Like the year. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you know, not, you can, yeah, you're not going to put a black bear there and he's all of a sudden going to learn how to, Exactly. Yeah. Something can't replace what a tiger can do, you know? Yeah. So, so we'll see. We'll see what, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, there's, there's people are pushing what conservation means anymore. Like the big reintroduction of cheetahs into where, where India, they brought African cheetahs to India because they were able to get a viable Asian population. There's only like a hundred Iranian cheetahs left. And so they brought Africans and so African cheetahs. So I actually, we have a whole episode about that. Um, I definitely recommend, I'll put that in the show notes. I should have, what episode? Or Stotra came, came on the show and he's a, he's a, um, Asian, like an Asiatic lion expert. It's very heavily connected in the Indian cat world. So he was able to answer my questions, but so, yeah, I mean, we're pushing a little, apparently we're making species now that don't exist and we are reintroducing cats that are technically the same cat. They're both cheetahs, but one's African versus Asian and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know, people are getting creative and we're doing weird and funky things, but I guess we got to try because. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone's heart, I think is in the right place. It's just, you know, wild west right now, trying to figure out how to manage biodiversity and climate change and all this extinction. And it's just exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. So I'm all for creative solutions. I mean, and they're not going to be without controversy, but we're to the point now where we got to try pretty much anything. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> On a lighter note. Yeah. Um, we have a, our third question is from tropical tropics, 95. What animal would you all like to learn more about 
that you haven't been able to do an episode on that I can guess for you? (laughs) I think everyone can guess. Uh, selfishly, I am, I'm a predator freak. I love all predators. So if I could have all of the big cats on or anyone who is, especially the felids, oh, I love them so much. I just nerd out so hard. So selfishly, that's me, but I'm also a very curious person and anybody who's passionate about something, I get completely absorbed. I mean, there's species on here that I literally didn't even know existed until they came on the show. But like so- the water, freshwater dolphins. Yeah, the Ganges. So cool. Yeah. And like Irorotanshi from Nigeria. She is like an unbelievable bat biologist and like rediscovered yes. that hadn't been found in like so many years. Like she rediscovered them and just listening to her passion was incredible. So. I'm not that biased. <laughs> if someone has an amazing species that they love, I, I want all of them on. And then also, I don't know if you listening have put, put this together, but one of the big goals of this show is to have somebody working in every single country for conservation, have them on the show. So that is a big goal of mine. So to have literally as many voices from as many places on the world like throughout the world is one of my goals. So I'm not even close. I think we're up to, well, there's a lot of episodes that haven't been released yet that are recorded, but we're well over 30 countries now. And most of which are local people that work there. That's another big goal of mine. It's not always possible. And I'm, I'm striving very, very hard to get, you know, local researchers and local scientists and that's always a big part of what I'm, I'm striving for as well to get the, you know, get the local voices, especially women voices as well. But yeah, that's a big, big that's a big picture. So 30 countries is not the world. So <laughs> we got work to do. Way to go. Way to go. So if anyone listening, if you work in a country that hasn't been on the show, reach out because we need your voice on the show because we need, we need to get the globe covered. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. For me, it's all the canids. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So me and Heather have talked about, you know, since the Lynx is me, obviously the Rewildology logo about getting a wild dog version made for Heather. And I absolutely love wild dogs. So I'm like all frigging game for it. I just, it's just, it's on the to-do list. It'll happen. Yeah. Uh, our long to-do list. <laughs> Oh, yes. long, long to-do list, but it'll be great when we get that done. Yes, absolutely. Okay, question number four. Lori Evans Photography. This is a good question. Well, they've all been good questions, but I like this one. If you could relive only one wildlife encounter or experience, what would it be and what emotion did it invoke? This is a great question. This mm-hmm. is... It's like a fun one to answer, you know? Yeah, yeah, because it made me really reflect and really think about, because I've been so blessed now with just the career I've chosen in my life to see a lot of incredible things. And honestly, while it's not the most sexy or crazy or anything, I think the deciding I would love to go back and do again is the first time I saw a wild tiger. Because that's that was, pretty sexy. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, you shut up. That's pretty sexy. Well, tiger is awesome. Okay. 
Okay, maybe you're okay. You're right. You're totally right. I thought you were gonna say like skunk or something like totally not sexy, right? But cool, still cool nonetheless. But <laughs> they do have a couple sightings I do want to mention after this. But but that 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 tiger sighting meant so much to me. It meant more than just seeing that tiger. So the story behind this sighting is. It was my third Earth expedition. So it was my my final trip that I had made with my graduate program. And then my boss now, who I work for, I actually partnered with him. I didn't work for him at the time. This was 2017. With creating a post-research safari in India with his partners. And so this is the worst time of the year to go see tigers. Like you just like we weren't supposed to see anything. Like it just. If you happen to just count your blessings and go buy a lottery ticket, because this is not the time of year to go see tigers. But, you know, I was like, we're here in India. It's, in, it's so long to get there. Let's go to a couple parks and see what we can find. And um, so we were in the southern part of India and it was Nagarhole National Park and our tiger reserve, Nagarhole to tiger reserve. I'm sorry. And it was our first game drive. And we just came around this bend and onto this water hole. And right there for the first time ever in my life was a tiger. And I almost broke down in tears because everything that I had been striving for all of my life, finally in that moment, like I finally saw a tiger in the wild, like everything I'd done, my entire master's on my, all of my undergrad, everything had culminated into this moment where I'm actually seeing what I was trying so hard to protect finally in the wild. And we were with that cat for like 45 minutes because it was, it just eaten. It was at its watering hole. It did not care. It was just, it was just such a cat. <laughs> and I mean, people obviously don't know that I actually have a lot of tattoos. I'm pretty tatted up, which a lot of that surprises a lot of people, which can't touch a book by its cover. But one of my, one of my tattoos is, is actually a beautiful tiger. And so, and I got that when I graduated undergrad as like one of my, one of the things closest in my heart that I want to, that I want to say that I want to spend the rest of my life protecting. and. Than to see it in the wild for the first time. Like, oh, I think it was so kind. It just sounds so awesome. Like, how amazing was that? I bet. Just... Oh my gosh, I really, literally might say But yeah, so I think that, that that moment, just because it meant so much personally. And so, like, a couple of my sexier sightings that I will say that also meant a lot. And these are actually on the same trip. So, one was in the Makati Kari salt pans, which is in Botswana. So it's outside the Kalahari. And I was with this beautiful desert adapted lioness. And she is the biggest freaking lion I've ever seen in my life. She was massive. The locals called her big head for perspective. (laughs) She was such a beast that it was literally her and her three cubs. And her cubs were as big as a lot of the other lions that I had seen across like Eastern Africa or something like that. So she was beautiful. And then on that night, we actually got to see her teaching her cubs how to hunt a wildebeest. Oh, how, oh oh my gosh. I'm jealous. That sounds amazing. It was, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal just watching all the chaos and, and her showing them how to stalk and then letting them try. And 
and everything, just watching how they, they communicate with each other, you know, which is so different than what we do. So just watching this beautiful behavior was just incredible. And then at towards the end of that trip. So I was in a different part of Botswana. Um, and I got to be with a wild dog pack. And uh, I know you told me about that. That sounds so magical. Yes. Yes. Yeah. This particular pack, we were with them all evening. It was 11 adults and 14 puppies. And oh, how cool. So many puppies. And then it was time to hunt. And so for two and a half hours, we were with them as they were just going through the bush, chasing everything down. And then they did eventually, they, they, they were relentless. Like wild dogs are relentless. Like they didn't stop until they took something down. So they took down an Impala and yeah, it was, it was, that was absolutely incredible. And then after eating for a while, they called the puppies and we were there and like all the puppies came tramping through like the big grass and everything. So that was just and then also too, like being like a predator specialist, like to see these interactions, to see these wild dogs, like that is so, so special. So to spend an entire evening with them was phenomenal. And I would love to, I would love to relive that. I've, I've actually yeah. posted like a couple of the, of the uh, puppy videos. And so have more, I should probably post them more. Yeah, we, we should definitely post them. That, that's, that's so cool. I bet just watching them interact and, and communicate with each other and work together was just so amazing. I mean, I've seen videos of it in documentaries, but to actually see it in person would be amazing. Girl, we're going to, because you're with me now. So guess what? (laughs) You're going to see all the things, but okay. So those were all of the questions. Now I want to formally introduce Heather, because this is the first time your voice has been on the show, even though now for many episodes, you have had a very big hand in. So tell everybody, what is your background and why are you doing conservation now? Okay. (laughs) Well, so I worked in the video game industry for 20 plus years as a sound designer, a composer, an audio director. Um, I was a producer for a couple of years. I worked with Microsoft and Sony and some smaller studios and then did some did a couple games for electronic arts. And then the last company I was with for almost 10 years was a casino game company. And we did like slot machines and we did do some of those that go ding 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 ding. But we also did some some that were way more complicated, you know, um, with a lot of original music, original sound effects. We even did some licensed games, which meant that we had to recreate some of these famous songs and make them sound as close as possible. Um, so it was it was fun work, but I always just felt like I was contributing to the problem and not the solution, you know, of keeping people indoors and keeping them not aware of what's going on outside. And, and then it was also hard just spending all that time in the office. The last job I was at, we did a lot of field trips to casinos. And that was really hard for me watching a bunch of people that, you know, you did see a lot of people who were just having fun, you know, like going on a trip to Las Vegas. But you did see a lot of people that were obviously spending their retirement checks at the machines. and I just. I just didn't want to be part of that. In 2015, I had the awesome fortune to go to the Galapagos Islands with Natural Habitat Adventures, which you mentioned earlier. 
And it was, it was a trip of a lifetime. And it just kind of uh, opened up my eyes, like, I mean, that I was kind of doing the wrong thing. You know, I was like, okay, I need to kind of reevaluate what I'm doing. But, and uh, so I got super into photography, super into wildlife photography. And uh, about a year ago, I was able to quit my job at the, the um, casino company. And now I've been working on towards doing freelance conservation media. I'm working with Brooke doing the uh, audio and the video, and um, I'm really loving that. And then, you know, I'm still doing um, doing conservation photography and working on some films and and just trying to figure out how that all works. You know, the first year or two after you're, you change directions is always a little rough, but I'm, I'm excited and I, I feel like um, I'm heading in the right direction. Uh, one other thing I did also is I got my master naturalist certification in Texas, which was like over a hundred hours of, of training. And then I put in over 500 hours of volunteer work with different um, environmental groups in the Texas area while I was living there. And that's been invaluable. Like, I feel like you know, I may not always be able to understand what all the scientists are saying, but I can keep up at least. <laughs> so it's been really helpful. And um, it really made me appreciate nature even more because I know what plants I'm looking at. I know what animals I'm looking at. And one thing that I, I love about your story is one, it's, it's full, so full of passion, of course, which it obviously resonates with me. And you have such a winding way to conservation, like you've done it in such an unorthodox way, which is beautiful. And a lot of people on the show have as well. And so just sharing more of those stories that you don't have to just be a PhD in order to make a difference for the world. Like, look what you're doing now. You're doing so many amazing things, like 500 hours of volunteer work, like what? That is incredible. Like that's on top of your crazy, like you were a director, like you, you had a lot going on. Like it's not like you had a little role at, at any of your jobs that you've had. You, you had a lot on your plate. So, and then also too, like you, <laughs> another reason why I'm so glad that you're part of the show, like you're helping keeping me in line because sometimes I just go down rabbit holes and, and you're like, okay, Brooke, like, can you, <laughs> like, what did you just you know, you, so you're really helping me a lot with that too, which I, I absolutely appreciate. So, well, that's funny because I always just felt like I was just like, maybe I'm not paying attention. <laughs> maybe I need to ask her to explain that. <laughs> I know sometimes, you know, just like, wow, yeah, that should probably be explained a little further. Whoops. Um, <laughs> blah. So, but you know, it's just things like that. And then also like, and that, that just like brings me to the next topic that I really want to discuss. And that's the future, you know, hundred episodes. One, I had no, no clue that the show would ever get this far, but now that it's such a, it's everything. I absolutely love this show and don't want it to stop at all. So now it's like looking towards the future. And one of the big things that Heather and I have talked a lot about is we're going to start doing a whole bunch more video content, which is going to be very, very exciting. Hope to do more interviews in the field, which would be, oh, I mean, interviews in person are already like a gazillion times better, but then also have it in these crazy places. Like even here, like where I live now, you know, you can come up with me and we can do all this kind of stuff. So if you're not already following the YouTube channel, like please do. 
I knew from the very beginning when I set this up that setting up a YouTube channel was smart, but I I had no capacity to build it. Again, like I said, me and Heather, we, we manifested each other. And so that's going to be one of our big focuses. Of course, this podcast will always stay as it is, meaning like there will always be the podcast stream, but we are going to create a lot more video content for all of you to just consume and hopefully enjoy. And that's on the social media that that's on YouTube. That's on pretty much any platform that has a visual platform. We're also talking about making the, the podcast a little bit more visually interesting in the future too. So if, if you do happen to, to listen to the podcast on YouTube, the, you know, we're, we're going to start trying to make them a little bit more visually interesting, like having live interviews, you know, where everyone's at the same place and, and, um, <laughs> And we, we've done a little bit with the, like the slideshow on the lemur, yeah. the last lemur episode, which I thought was super cool. And, and it was done in a way too, that, you know, if, if you're not listening on YouTube, you can, you can go back and check it out, you know, but she explained it well enough, that it was cool. Yeah. I liked that one. Yeah, absolutely. And then sitting down with Butch and him able to like talk us through the, the rhino reintroductions. And that was the first time we had tried that. And so it's all been a big experiment, but it's been super fun to see see this continue to grow and evolve because, oh my God, I can't be stagnant. Oh my gosh, I get so freaking bored. Can you imagine me just doing the same thing every day? No. Oh, it would not be. No. <laughs> I'm the same way. So, you know, we'll keep each other honest on that one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then a couple yeah. other big things that we've talked a lot about is... Oh my gosh, actually, I'm thinking of all the big things we've talked a lot about. So probably well, I don't think we have that long to talk. <laughs> so the biggest thing, and I, I've planted the seed a couple times, but everyone, I'm absolutely serious. We are actually going to start running trips. We are going to start running rewildology trips. I can't quite yet share where the first destinations are going to be. But there are at least three that I'm currently working on that might be expanding. So we are going to put together formal trips and then you all will be the first to know and you will be more than welcome to come join us in these amazing, amazing destinations. And it'll be like this, like I've been in the conservation travel community now and in the, in the industry for a while. And trust me, it'll just be so much fun. We'll have a freaking blast in these destinations, but it, it'll be these very wild, beautiful places. Well, and then also getting to talk to conservation professionals, right? While we're yep. out there, which that to me is magic. You know, it's one thing to go see a beautiful animal, but then it's also another thing to, to, get to meet the people who are working with them because they can tell you things about these animals that you, you would have never known. And you wouldn't have found out on YouTube or on the internet or in a book, you know, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the initial goals of setting up this podcast is, is making very special partnerships with some of the guests and then bringing the rewildology community to meet them and see their work and see what they're actually doing on the ground. And I'm so excited to share everyone that is actually starting to happen. That is really coming true. So when the first destinations are going to be announced, we will let you know, but 2023, 
we're going to be in the air. So, and we want to take you with us and, and meet these people and just see these incredible projects and just beautiful places around the world. And then also know that you're doing it the right way, because if you're coming with me, if you're coming with the show, then nothing other than conservation minded, positive net impact is going to be allowed. Like that's it. So if you do come with us, then you will have an incredible, incredible experience knowing that you are helping protect wildlife. So well, you'll be able to see us do the, the interviews right there. So mm-hmm. you'll be a front row seat. So it'll be awesome. Yeah. I can be part of episodes. Like come yeah. on. Freaking cool. That'd be especially yeah. video components. Cause like I said, we got an audio and video producer now. So there's going to be a video. Yeah. <laughs> be a part of the show when you come on these trips with us, because why not record content and episodes when we are actually in these places. So that is probably the biggest sneak peek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the biggest one. I mean, that we've been, that's the big enchilada, right? That is the big enchilada. So that, that's the big goal. We've, we've discussed other things. Like we have some more t-shirt campaigns coming in partnership with other foundations. That's going to be wonderful. The Rhino Conservation Campaign did so, so well. We've also talked about having a um, like subscription too. So if people want to pay a couple dollars a month um, to help keep the show on the airwaves, because as of now, I have not monetized it at all. So <laughs> this has all been out of my pocket now for two years. So it's time if this wants to get bigger and we want to actually financially support the people doing amazing things around the world, I just got to turn into a real business. And so that's one of the ways. And so just to give you all more value, more content, we've been talking about possibly doing like a, a simple subscription model. So the, the live, like the, the free version will always stay the same. Like this. Yeah. Is- yeah. We're not going to take anything away from anybody, but yep. we will, we yep. will add some, some value. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. It's not taking anything away. Just if for anyone who might want to just throw a couple bucks to the show, we will gladly give you as much value as possible for your amazing contribution did I forget anything? Is that? Uh, 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 uh. No, I mean, I think that's, that's what we got, right? Yeah. I feel, yeah. I feel like those are, I feel like those are the big things. So that was super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But everyone who's listening, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of the show for vlogging on listening wherever you listen to podcasts subscribing supporting the show however you like and interacting with us on social media facebook instagram twitter all the things and and just helping keeping these stories on the airwaves so again i've met the most amazing people through this show and i'm so grateful for every single one of you so thanks for listening to me for a hundred (laughs) episodes Yes. Thanks for letting me interview you. It was fun. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks everyone for your questions. Those were really great. Um, Let's see. Adrian, Tropical Tropics 95 and Lori Evans Photography. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. So appreciate it. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet.